This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Ollie Judge. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. The journey of the workplace into the future has definitely changed over the past couple of years. Now, more and more workplaces are helping to find the new hybrid model of working. What will the hybrid model look like and how will it benefit the employee and the employer? This is part two to an episode we did back in November, so we'd recommend that you go back and check out that episode too. Joining me today to explore this are experts from Capgemini. Hi, my name is Claudia Krummenel and I'm a managing director for Capgemini Invent. And from Steelcase. I'm Mikael, vice president for Steelcase for Southern Europe and Africa. What we're talking about today is hybrid working, which we've spoken a lot about on this podcast in general, but we've come a long way now. We're not in the like first stages of the pandemic when everyone's scrambling about. We're not in that second stage when everyone thought that they were the best expert at hybrid working that had ever existed. We're in a stage where the realities have set in, we know what the challenges are, and we, we know where hybrid working also doesn't work. So I'm going to start off with Claudia. What, what factors make hybrid models so difficult? I think there are a few. If I have to name them, I think there's one is the human connection is important. And as it's missing through the hybrid working context or reduced through the hybrid working, it needs an extra effort, which needs our continuous awareness and, and consciousness to deal with that. Leadership is getting harder. You have to make sure you involve and include your employees, your team that is remote and that is on site. So you have to really take a, a, a conscious effort. So it's really about awareness and consciousness in the human connection. And secondly, I would say there is a bit of a technology challenge because most organizations have now completely boosted their tech investments, but they saw in the past two years that they are not at the best in class they, they could be. So there was a technology challenge that is ongoing. So what is the best tool to use? What is the most secure tool to use? I think continuously over the last half year or so, it's been about security, how you can ensure connection. And then lastly, I would say there's a policy challenge or there, there, there's something around HR policies where people can work from for how much time, particularly in Europe, there's a bit of conversation going on how much time can you work abroad. So you, we've been comparing companies, uh, what they allow in terms of remote working policy. Do you have to stay in your apartment where you registered or can you move somewhere else? And so uh, designing those kind of policies has been a bit of a challenge. And Mikhail, you, you've been designing a lot of policies for Steelcase and putting things into action. Could you tell us a little bit about what Steelcase does and then maybe ju just a broader overview of some of the challenges that you guys face so we can use them as an example throughout the episode? So first, I, I wanted to confirm that hybrid is indeed hard. And it's hard because it's a wicked problem, if I can say so. It's because it's highly complex and, and fluid. And what we have learned is that there is no one size fits all solution. And this is also the case within our company. When all this started, starting from Asia and then coming to Europe and then from the US, and then we all know that different measures were taken by government uh, during the crisis and then the going back to normal, it's completely different country by country. We are still living in, in different countries. In Germany, for, for example, right now, it's completely different a state than what we have here in France. We are 
open things. Uh, we have uh, stopped the mask. And I know that uh, where we have our learning innovation center in Munich, there is still, I think that it's called the 2G or 3G rule where people have to wear masks in also in public spaces. So this difference of perception within the country makes that defining a solution within our own company, it's complicated. And this is what I think one of the first lessons of why hybrid is so hard is that things have moved into something a bit more less physical and you are more in the virtual world and you need to dial up a lot your emotional connection with your employees. So I have to understand that maybe my colleagues and my peers that are working from different countries are in a completely different uh, state of mind because of their current environment than what I am. And this is not something that you can see because it's intangible. For me, it's, I can go to restaurant, I can eat outside without a mask, I can be in the office without a mask, and my peers, my colleagues cannot do that. So how can we make sure that in the world where a hybrid will be the norm because hybrid is here to stay, that we all have this in mind while we are working and while we're interacting in a world where we do have global teams and everyone is just interacting with everyone and on a day-to-day basis. Nice. So I, I, want, I want to drill into that connection a, a, a little bit more. So we've spoken a lot about technology and the systems that people put in place and all that kind of thing. But Mikhail, as you've just said, every company is different. It's a very individual and personal thing. Where have we seen the biggest breakdowns in connection? This might be a question for Claudia. It's probably one for both of us. I think the one of the breakdowns is certainly is you, like on your screen, you have this little excerpt of your life. And as much as things can come in or people can come in, so you see in the background what kind of pictures I have or the dog or the cat is walking in front of the, the screen. So there's little glimpses of your life, but basically you're reduced to this little square where you see each other. And that leaves a lot of things out, which you usually use to understand whether somebody is feeling well or not. The whole physical, your your gestures and everything, I think this makes it more difficult. And that's where a little bit of a break in the connection is happening. And then secondly, I think humans are just herd animals. We need physical interaction, seeing people, shaking hands, hugging, or just being with each other. So I think that's the second break point that I would see. And Mikhail, where have you seen the biggest breakdowns in connection? The the biggest breakdown in, in the connection is, in fact, the issue is that there is not one single one. For me, this is uh, a very tricky question because the first one that I see, and I, I will use maybe an example that may resonate with everyone. When you have, when you're entering into a dating relationship, we all have, and everyone has, and we all know some uh, dating apps are very popular our days, right? Things are starting uh, online, but at one point, people want to meet, want to meet each other, because if you want to move to the next steps, you, you need to somehow meet. And this is the same with people that have joined a company during the crisis. They have, of course, start to get to know their colleagues, their leader, their boss, but they have something that is missing. So for the ones that have joined the company during the crisis, it was hard. But then I will use another example. We all have, I hope, families, right? That 
we are getting along. We are used to see them more or less, right? Depending on how well you go with your family, but you have built some capital and you meet regularly. And I think that at one point, when you have something that is not working within your family, with your spouse, with your children, you don't, you don't deal with your most difficult issues that you may have with them over a team call or a Zoom call. You want to meet them. And this is also the same with, with your own teams and with your team members or with your colleagues. If you have a tricky problem to resolve, you cannot deal with that only online. And or our studies have mentioned that when it comes to innovation, solving complex problems, people are doing it way faster when they are physically together than we are not. So to answer your question, Oli, I think I see two things. The weakest thing is the most tricky part of this is where there is a breakdown is for new people in a company, but also with people that are for the company for a long time, but which have a very regularly complex issues to solve. I really like those examples. And I, I think it's something that will definitely resonate with a lot of people. So we're talking about these quite intimate relationships. We're, we're liking stuff to dating and family, but we're, we're in corporate settings. What, what are some of the biggest mistakes we've seen with people trying to solve these issues? I think maybe before we start going into that, I think the biggest misconception is that there is a difference between you know, corporate, set, like that there's a, that, that it has to be two different settings because there's a theory as well. If you only bring your whole self to work, you're going to be productive. And I, I think there is less of a difference between you as an individual in your family and in your corporate setting. And I think that's what the pandemic has brought out, that it is one and the same. You are still, even if you're on a Zoom screen, you're still a father, a mother, you're an, an animal dad or owner or whatever it is. You still have human needs. And I think this is the interesting part about hybrid work or the paradox thing, maybe, in a way that it has brought out the the humanity, the human thing in our relationships even more. And that's where I think maybe there isn't such a big difference in these two settings. One of the mistakes um, that I have seen is to think that because hybrid is hard and people are social animals, as uh, we just highlighted, is to think that the office should be the place where people will only socialize, which is true. But it's not the only role of the office. In fact, the office should be the place where people can feel the culture of a company because we are working for a company. So this is a place where we should relate to, we should have a sense of belonging. So turning offices into nightclubs is not the solution, but it's what people thought we should do right first. We remove all the desks, we remove everything, we put only meeting rooms, we put places where people can be together. Yes, but it's only just one piece. The second, second biggest mistake was to think that because indeed in the hybrid work, the areas where people could work could be from home for alternate location, there was also a financial approach to say, I can save a lot of costs because real estate is one of the biggest costs that the company have. And so people jump into conclusion, the office is dead. We will reduce our number of square meters by 50% without having thought about all the consequences. Of course, changes needs to be made, but how and in which direction this needs to have a, a bit more thought than uh, 
just what has been shared in the first weeks or months after the crisis began and also now. And we have a lot of companies that have changed their mind completely in, in how to approach this new ways of working. I think I, I, I can fully agree to your last point. I think people have been very quick in seeing financial gains out of the pandemic, whether it was the, the closure of the real estate or the office, but also I think they've been tempted by the productivity gains that have been calculated in the first year of the pandemic. So I think I've, I've read a lot of articles and we have had our own study around the productivity gains because people don't have commuting times. The, the time is reduced where they have chats or coffee breaks and things like that. So they, they appeared more productive. But I think what we have seen as well is that the well-being or burnout as the downside of that productivity really has played a role. So I think this jumping into the business case has been a little bit of a misconception or too quick to jump. I think we need to be more cautious around where to really have that kind of business case, because not everything is just about cost savings, productivity gains and so forth. It does have this human side, the social side to it. And we need to make sure that we have healthy employees. We have we have connection to the culture so that we can retain them. There's loyalty. There's an experience. There's a feeling to, to an organization. I think that's one. And I want to add another mistake, I think, or not maybe a mistake, but more a challenge. I think we've been very fast in putting a lot of task and pressure to the leaders, but haven't really thought about are they enabled to do that job, whether this is in dealing with personal situations of employees or whether that is around really uh, bridging the, the gap through remote and on-site interaction or how to maintain the business. I think there are a lot of tasks that have been pushed to the leader where we have been maybe missing a little bit the support from an HR and organization side to really make sure they, they know how to do that. There were two things in there that I really wanted to unpack. The, the first one that I, I want to have a little bit of a think about is are there now new unrealistic expectations for productivity based on how we were all working from home last year, but then when you go back into the office, you can't work that way? So, for example, if I've been working at home, I can put my headphones on, like really focus in. Yeah, I might have a few Zoom calls during the day, but like you said, I don't have my commute and all that kind of stuff. So my, my productivity obviously goes up. But the minute I, that I go get on a train, I go into an office, someone taps me on the back, all that kind of stuff. But then I get to the end of that day and I haven't done the same amount, but my manager's on my back because I haven't been as productive as I usually would, even though that usual is now different. Is that a phenomenon that we've seen across the board that now employees are now under more pressure with a hybrid working system than they, they could have been if they were just attending the office? I think we have to figure out what this new system is. I have to smile when you're saying this because I had myself the the feeling or the emotion what it was like going back to a workshop or to an office actually it was last june the first time we were holding a leadership meeting and as much as as it was nice to see the people that i was in the team with i was completely frustrated the whole day of how much more i could have you know achieved in terms of what to do during the day and i think the first half hour which we just used to chit chat to get to know each other to have a conversation around the objectives i was with my arms and feet trying to like let's do something because that's how you wired the year and a half before that you sit in your computer and you go all energy um into your tasks so i think we have to re established what that 
model is and how to do what task where. And as Mikael was saying, like, I think the office is, is there to experience the culture. So things are going to be slower or, or are going to be different than if you sit at home. But this consciousness around switching the work mode, I think, is needed. And there is one thing that we need to be careful also is that working means different things for each one of us. And working is not just writing an email, producing an article. For example, this is part of my work as a leader. I need to take time to understand what people in our company have, what they have in mind, what they're thinking about. Having a lunch with one of my uh, colleagues is, this is work, right? And people may think, yeah, I'm not that productive, but this may be a turning point for a retention of a key talent of our company. And we need to invest time into this. When we think about productivity, we are, we are wired to think about maybe a tailor model, which is not really the only way of, of working and being productive. So we have different ways. Of course, everyone has a different jobs. We have different KPIs and that the things that we need to do in our days. But work is not just about production. It's also about making sure that uh, we help and we bring the company in the right uh, direction. So this is also a different way of looking at this. I think that's a good point to go back to something that Claudia was talking about, which was it not just being on the leadership, it's also middle management, project managers, team leaders, that maybe they need to shift away from being what's traditionally known as a manager. And this might be a bit cliche, but maybe a bit closer to a coach and finding ways to encourage and as Mikhail was talking about earlier like actually emotionally connect with some of the people that they work with obviously you don't want to become a therapist to to your employees or or your team members but you still want to be able to connect with them maybe in a bit of a different way because you do have that a bigger window into their lives but how do we help people that may especially the older generation that aren't so used to communicating over technology and all that kind of stuff how, how do we move them from just being your standard middle manager that's trying to squeeze every ounce of profit and uh, productivity out of a team to something that's a bit more understanding of the ebbs and flows of people's lives and helping them realize that, yeah, maybe they might be able to get a bit more productivity out of their employees because they're actually encouraging them rather than planning to the nth degree. Claudia, this might be one for you. Just before Claudia answers, I, will I just want to highlight one thing. I think it's not a generation thing. You mentioned maybe the most high, it's not a generation thing, the leadership trait that everyone has in himself or herself, but just, just wanted to highlight that. But I would let you, Claudia, answer. And, uh, <laughs> I would have said something similar because I don't think it's a generational thing either. And I, I think it's maybe a rejuvenation of some of the leadership concepts that we had in the past. So I think over the last 20 years, a lot of leadership was dominated by management, by objectives. You have to rationalize delegation. You have to fulfill certain tasks. But I think the last couple of years and, and the pandemic in particular has, I think, brought back values like care or, or trust or really establishing a relationship empathy. Those skills has brought it back because that's what was it crucial task of a leader and, and you said it's a fine line to become to not become people's therapist on the one side i must say i think it's actually normal to listen to your teams or to your colleagues 
problems because that's what is part of leadership that may be blocking them from actually being productive or being able to do their job or or even listen to their family situation. So I had a lot of team members in Germany who had struggles with childcare. And that's a real problem because obviously you need to, to juggle all these tasks, right? You have your kid that's maybe two years old next to you and have to do video calls and phone calls. And God forbid that the kid has has a disease or a sick or something. So that, that, that's stuff you need to listen to and you need to help and take care of it. That's also for me part of leadership. And that's what I think is part of values that your team and your peers will like or will be attracted to. I think this is what makes a true team. So staying on that connection line and Mikhail, something that you, you picked up on in the challenges was that in different regions, there are different ways of working. There are different expectations on your working life and how things work, both culturally, but also systemically. How obviously you've done some work with Steelcase globally and you've been working with multiple regions. How do you find similarities and how do you begin to build systems around the diversity in those systems? You have a couple of things that you need to take into consideration when you um, deep dive into this topic. You have, of course, the culture of the company, but then also the culture of the country. Let me give you one specific example. For example, I'm working with a lot of companies within Africa. And when you talk to them about working from home, this is perceived completely differently than what we can see here. For example, in countries like Western Europe, France, UK, Germany, working from home in Africa, or I should say not leaving in the morning to go into the office is from a social perspective, not well accepted in Africa, because this is a sign that maybe you are not working. And those stereotypes are so deep into the culture that people prefer to pretend to go to work, even if they don't have work sometime, so that they feel, I would say, more accepted. So those are subtle differences, but those are differences. And of course, in terms of infrastructure, I think that you have differences that you need to take into consideration in terms of technology, equipment of, depending on where you live. You don't need to go as far as, as Africa, but in some areas, for example, I, I do live in France, in Paris. So you have here a high speed bandwidth of internet, but, but in some areas in middle of France, you don't have those uh, level of connection. So when you have to do a remote uh, working uh, session, you need then to, uh, you cannot do it from home. You need to go into an office or to uh, an alternate location, which may bring different challenges than when you have. So you have to take those small little differences into your strategy about defining what hybrid means for a company. People in New York, they don't have the same challenges of commuting and the places that they live than people that uh, are uh, living in the in the area of Massachusetts or in Michigan. It's not the same spaces. And we do have that in all the countries that we are living in. We have those differences. And this is things that we need also to take into consideration when we're uh, putting together a hybrid work strategy or where when we're trying to define what does it mean for our colleagues and employees. I would like to add, I think, despite the differences that you highlighted, Mikael, I think what I thought was interesting is that the human connection, so be, being social animals, 
the same across all countries and all, across all cultures. It may be slightly different around what kind of interaction you need, but I have teams in India and Australia and the U.S. They all need that interaction and, and the social connection. So that's what people were craving for. And, and then the context you're in, whether it's like your country's culture, your company culture, and then maybe even politics does a big thing. Mikael, you were mentioning before, like the COVID regulations in the countries are very different. And that's why the perception of how you can meet or interact are very different or whether you can go back to the office or not are very different. So that's all making a difference. But this need for social interaction is, is the same. A bit of a question on that. If, if you've got all these different expectations within different nations, if, if you've got an international company, how do you stop one specific country's way of doing things overriding every other country's? So if you, for instance, had a company that was headquartered in France, how do you stop the French way of doing things, putting too much pressure on on places that aren't France? And like you said, Mikhail, don't have the infrastructure that you might have. How do you create balance there? This is where the... You need to have very strong leadership pillars. And this all starts with the leadership at the highest level, but also in mid-manager uh, or mid-leadership. You need to have very strong uh, pillars and some traits that maybe we say that one of our key pillars is about trust, right? We are a trust-based company. And we want to make sure that this trait is across all our, our locations, right? And when you have this, this... Of course, you need to follow the local rules and regulation, but this doesn't mean when you need to trust your teams, this has some very clear and tangible impacts and outcomes also on the way you need to manage things. So you need to have clear, common leadership pillars on which everyone can relate to and then imply them, uh, themselves in and tweak them into their culture and tune their uh, local regulation and rules. But then you can always highlight, yeah, but this is part of it. We have six, for example, in our company that we relate to. And this is helping us to also make the right choices as leaders. So this is an example that I... I Do you go into those pillars? Can you let us know what people on your team really focus into? Yeah. The, one, of, one of those is, for example, cultivate uh, resilience. Cultivate resilience means we need to make sure that uh, despite what our teams or what we're going through, we need to make sure that we can help nurture the team to go back at the level where they used to be before or in, enable us to, to, to move forward. One of other, of, of our other pillars is around making sure that we build a strong teams, right? By that, we mean, by strong, we mean retain uh, the talents that we have, hire the, the, the right ones that are also fit with our, uh, a company, uh, values and yeah. All those pillars are helping us to, to create a sense of unity between leadership, but also within our, our company. And this is why also, uh, to come back to what Claudia was mentioning, leadership needs to be trained, need to understand that things have changed, needs to evolve. And this is why also you cannot do leadership only remote. This is my personal opinion. You cannot be a leader by just being remote. Otherwise, you become a manager because if you have back-to-back -back Teams, Zoom, or whatever, WebEx calls, you will start to manage, in fact. You, you're not leading, you're not coaching. What we're doing when this is stopping, we will 
stop this recording and we will move to something else. You're losing those in-between chit-chats and all those type of things. So I don't believe in the just remote leadership. I think that's a very sensible thing to to latch onto that a, a lot of having an emotional connection with someone is being in the same room and actually understanding what their behaviors are like. And it's very tricky to figure out who someone is when all you've done is talk to them on the other side of a screen. In this space, we talk about culture a lot, and it, it's a word that's thrown around and means many things in this industry. But it does sound like it, it's a cultural layer that that sits across everything from management, leadership, human resources, even hiring could probably fit under this, that your pillars essentially define a new way of thinking about things that adds a few questions when you're about to do anything. Much of an employee's experience is based on culture. How do we build that culture and help people get nurtured into that culture on, on their way into a company or if, if they're new to what's going on? Is it a bit of stuff in the office? Is it then a bit of remote? I know that, for instance, my fiance started a job during the pandemic and she did everything through e-learning, which she hated. So what, what's the best approach here? How do you get people ingrained in these new cultures, both from a new starter, but also someone that's maybe been there a while that you've got to retrain into thinking a little bit differently? I think culture is a tricky thing because a lot of the things in culture are intangible. There is a few things that are written down or like values or leadership principles. There are some things that have been put into writing. However, a lot of the culture you experience in the social interaction and are intangible. You, those are unwritten rules. Those are unwritten things. Or those are experiences you have when being in the office, being with your colleagues, being in the job. For example, for consulting, a lot of the experience consultants want when they join is around traveling is around staying in nice hotels from time to time, is around being at client site, interacting with them. That is all going to change. So how are you going to change this experience, what consulting means to people, and what can a new experience be that takes over this hype or this adrenaline push that people used to have? There's a very small example about how culture influences how people feel as part of the organization. and. So when you talk about onboarding, this was your example, Oli, what you have to think about is what do you want to convey to your new hires? And that is how you choose the format, how you choose what kind of content to do where. So e-learning may not be the perfect solution if you want to convey social interaction or certain values or so. So you might have to choose different formats in doing that. So we designed, for example, an onboarding process for 4,000 employees in North America. And a lot of that, I would say 60, 70% was also e-learning. So doing things online by yourself. But the other 30 to 40% was interaction um, with leaders. So being on a Zoom call, at least, to interact, ask questions. But that's a different experience than if you sit alone in front of your computer and just watch a video or answer questions online. So you have to try to think about what kind of culture you want to convey. And that's how you choose content and channel. Makes a lot of sense to me. Mikhail, did you have anything to add there? Yeah. No, it's agree to everything what Claudia just mentioned. I want to share, do you know the monkey story about the three monkeys? Let's do a story time. Do you want to tell us about the monkey story? <laughs> this is about culture, right? Uh, this is an experiment that has been done um, between uh, and three monkeys were put in a cage 
And every time they were given a banana and they love bananas, they wanted to eat that. But every time they were given a banana, they were giving electroshock. So after a couple of, of shocks, uh, of course, when you put the banana, none of the three monkeys were trying to grab it and to eat it. Then you take one monkey out uh, and you put a new monkey into uh, the cage and then you give them a banana. What will happen is that the new monkey will try to grab and eat the banana. And all the time, the two other monkeys, they will try to stop him, right? Because they know that the electroshock will come. And at one point, the, the, new, the new monkey uh, will stop trying to grab the banana. Then you remove another one, and then uh, you repeat the experiment, and then you, you remove the, the last one, and the same thing happens. And then after all those changes, you put a banana, you have none of the monkey that is trying to, to grab it, but none of them have, have ever experienced the electroshock. And this is what we mean with culture. Sometimes we do things and we don't know where it's coming from. This is something that we have learned by experience. This is something that we have been teached. And we all have this uh, in our companies, electroshock, banana moment that we don't know that on a good thing and bad things. And the challenge is for new joiners is how do we make sure that they can learn from it. They can uh, also unlearn things that needs to be unlearned, but they can also learn those. And this is why also uh, we need to build those moments where those in-betweens and things can be shared and can be learned and teach. So companies have to really think about how can we build experiences so that everyone can learn. This is a, a negative example, but there are also some positive things that can be learned in the same way. But it's a really good example of how deeply rooted culture is and how, um, if you want to address it, how much you have to consider how to do that or consider of what are these unwritten rules that you might have in an organization because that's you can't display that through a Zoom call. So I want to take this one step further. Maybe let's get into some of the spiky things that happen when you try to implement hybrid working models. So... Obviously, we want everyone to be happy and, and change. What if you have someone that's so entrenched that they say, this is how I've always done it. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to take on this hybrid model. It's not how I think. I'm not productive doing this. What's your response to those kind of people? First of all, that's the beauty of this hybrid model. It's, it is the employee's choice. So we are very much in an employee-driven labor market. and so. If somebody was saying, I, I want to work from the office because I have, that's how I've always done it. Uh, that's where I'm more productive. That's, I want to separate my, my work and my home completely. They can't. So it's their choice. And I think that's what organizations have to respect. Now, it's a tricky bit, like you, you suggested, only in saying, like, how can you get them to learn some of the lessons and take the benefits of this hybrid working model? That's really around the team dynamic. So I think that if we're talking about a leader who says, I've always been in the office, I want everybody in my team to be in the office. It's really this leadership enablement, this leadership conversation that needs to happen to allow people to decide for themselves where they can be most productive for what kind of task. Or he or she might be right to enforce people coming to the office, let's say once week in order to make sure you have that team connection or that collaboration or that innovation, that creativity. 
that is needed for your teamwork. For We had the debate with some engineering teams for one of our clients. So how, where do you, how do you need to organize teamwork in an engineering product development team in order to be most, most productive? So it's number one, it, it is their choice is one size fits one, I would say. And the other one is really around leadership enabling and really giving some rituals, some support on how to organize effective teamwork. And this is where also your company culture is very important. Because as Claudia mentioned, I think that the beauty of hybrid is that it you cannot go along in your company without embracing a hybrid model, I and you feel. And this is allowing to give choice and control to all employees. So this is different. But if you have your own culture, then at least you need to have people that are matching with your culture. And it's okay also that some people are not fitting into your company culture. And that's okay. And if you can decide that, I, I will go very extreme right now, is you can say, Everyone can work from everywhere, worldwide, and this is how we don't need to be in the office. But some people can say, this is not who I am. I want to be in the office. I want to be behind a desk and I want to work. So if you feel that your uh, own employee is not in sync with your own, it's okay. So this is why also having a very strong company culture and be uh, explicit about it can help you also to attract the right people, but also maybe help other people to see this is not the company for me anymore or things have changed and I need to do something else. It's not that they are good or bad or that they're not productive or, but there is not a fit anymore. And I say always to my teams, I prefer to have people that are engaged, fitting with a company culture than having people that are not in sync because they will be the one counterproductive. They will be the one yeah, slowing things down. And this is in a hybrid world, this is even more complicated to deal with those people than it used to be before. And most of the times these people, these employees are also not happy. They're frustrated. So they're getting cynical. They're, they're being frustrated. So it's about having that open conversation. Is there a fit or not? And if there's none, helping maybe also to find other work, which may be more suitable. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think it's that that important cultural staples to make it known that yeah this is a, a good way of doing things it, it might not be your way of doing things but like the team is trying to do this and, and we're in this together what i'd like to land on now when you're getting going with with this kind of stuff i i, I think every company in the world right now has some form of hybrid work but if someone was looking to really start to hone it in really start to take it seriously obviously offices have now opened a bit more but things are still in a in a state of flux that people aren't quite sure what the right etiquette is and all that kind of stuff what would you say is the most important things for leadership to really get down now so here maybe I think that we need to start by making sure that everyone has a, a good experience from wherever and a good experience is in the sense that there is a good perception of what is happening on, on both sides of the camera. So maybe good images we need and people need to think maybe, and this is when I talk about very concretely, their offices more like uh, a movies director, right? Considering lightning, camera, audio experience, content that they want to share, and really thinking about what does it mean to collaborate in a hybrid way. 
And here I wanted to highlight three key ideas. The first one is making sure that there is inclusion despite the location and that people need to and things need to be designed in this way. The second thing, if you want to thrive in a hybrid collaboration is engagement. So design experiences across a range of uh, settings, maybe that are, that are done for human and engaging. And then the third thing is ease, right? Making to have the right tools and to have an intuitive uh, virtual and physical experiences. So if you really want to uh, go in the direction of making things very concrete, think about how to make hybrid collaboration work. And for this, three key pillars, equity, engagement, and ease. The things you mentioned, totally agree. Particularly, so for me, this would be the people aspect, right? So that you have inclusion, you have ease in, in use. So it's how, how to make it the people-centric, human-centric experience work. I think there's also a bit of a performance element. So what I mean with, but with that is you need the KPIs, the performance processes of your organization to match the kind of work culture you're trying to create. So if we're saying we're going to hybrid, that kind of people-centric leadership, that hybrid process design needs to be rewarded and needs to be fostered through your performance management. And the third one, I think you have it in your equity ease and I forgot what the third one was. Engagement. Yes, you have it in there. I think it's technology enabled, right? So all of this is only possible if you continue to invest and continue to, to look at technology, right? Whether this is the office space, people want to be able to connect through the office. Uh, they want to be able to dial into video conferences, maybe some immersive technology, immersive experiences. So this in continuous investment into technology is going to be important. Did you want to expand on your three things, Michael, and unpack yeah. what they are? So... When I was talking about equity, one of the things that are key is definitely, we call that to the challenge is to eliminate the gap that people have when they're not co-located. It's exactly the, the same experience that we have currently. How do we make sure that we are all at the same level, that there is not one of us that is taking more the light, if I can say. When everyone is on behind his own computer, it's easy. When you have 10 people in a room and one people outside, things may be uh, felt as uh, unbalanced. So how can we make sure that also the people, the team members that are not on stage can feel that they are on stage, right? When they're not. So this is one of the, the things that is important about the engagement is also make sure that I don't know who and maybe people that are listening to this podcast, right? When we had some virtual meetings, who was also uh, at the same time doing some emails or reading at something else. So we need to, to look at tricks and also settings that are making sure that uh, people continue, continues to be uh, engaged. So it might be from the tools, as Claudia was mentioning, the tools, I think that we never had so much new tools uh, at our disposals. We need to look at the right one that's are engaging the people, make things more interactive and also use the, the right platforms to make it happen. And then the ease, of course, enabling uh, seamless transitions uh, bit between the different uh, things when you're using a tool, then you're moving to a camera. And so this is one of the, the key elements. And, and we, I think that we're still learning and we're not there yet. How many presentations have we seen where people are 
on mute and then the things is the screen is not sharing and so all this needs to be worked on and i think that we see more and more progress and i think that investing in those platform putting money and looking uh, and deep diving into the solution will be key in the future to provide yes uh, the, the right ease of of use for each one of us i actually like that as a nice sort of finishing note however i, I do have my favorite question that i like to ask on every episode which is we've all been in a lot of meetings and I've, I've recorded a lot of shows around hybrid working and Claudia's doing some hybrid working right now. I'll, I'll start with Mikhail. While, uh, while, what's the worst bit of advice or the worst thing that you hear people say about hybrid working when you're in meetings? It's when I hear leaders say, we just have to ask people to do this or to come back to the office or to stay remote or to do this. We just have to ask. It's a people thing. It's hard. It's complicated. It's not by if you ask someone to do something, he may not be able and willing to do that. So it's a transformation. That's, that's the worst thing that I have heard. Or also the second thing might be, uh, we will, and I know that this is due to the regulation that we have in many countries, but when I hear people say hybrid will be two days at home and three days in the office. This is not how we work. This is not how our, our schedule are made. And I can assure you that this is not, we don't have two days uh, of work from home type of work and three days every time in a year. So this is not working and I will not recommend to do that. I know that from a legislation perspective, this might be different, but we're not here to talk about legislation and maybe legislation needs to be adapted to be a bit more flexible in this sense. So this is the two things that I wanted to share. It's not easy. So you never say you just have to ask and people will do. And then don't try to put a specific time frame around work from home, work from an office or work from a, a third place. This will not work. Oh, I, I, I heartily agree with both of your points there. Claudia, what's the worst advice that you hear around this stuff and what you wish people would stop bringing up? It's actually quite similar to, to Mikael's second point. I think people are trying to look for a standard, which is natural because this is what HR has been based on efficiency and standards to, to manage employees in the most cost-effective way. But I think that's that doesn't work anymore. That's not suitable anymore. So I, like Mikael said, there's no... I don't know, it's Monday, Tuesdays that you have to be in the office or, or every other day you, you have to be home. So this, this standard doesn't exist. And that's what makes it hard. But also, I think that's what makes it fun because that allows you to redefine it yourself. Everybody can just define for themselves what is the best work environment that they want to be in. And so this for me, to turn this a bit in, into a positive direction, your question, it's, I would hope that employees and leaders at the same time allow themselves a little bit that that freedom to decide for themselves what's going to be the best work situation that I need for me, for my family, for my home environment, for the work that I do within the company that I am in. So I think this freedom, this independence of, of deciding that is is key. From today's discussion that the hybrid model is definitely here to stay, but with factors such as employee experience, cultural differences, and a possibly tiered workforce, how businesses adapt to this new reality is yet undecided. One thing is for certain, though, that the future of the workplace is changing before our eyes. 
thanks to both today's guests, Claudia and Mikhail. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Future Sight, a show from Captain and I Invent. Goodbye.